This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. AMCs have traditionally been organized, the patients they've been organized to care for, those more complex, more tertiary-like patients. What we're seeing is a real crunch between the demand for those resources, that stated mission, and still needing to provide the level of community care that they've always provided. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Trevor Duran. Today, I have two colleagues joining, Mike Humphrey and Justin Cassidy, who lead a lot of our work with our Academic Medical Center members. They're going to summarize the recent biggest, best takeaways from our AMC Summit. This is an annual event we do. It's a hit for our AMC members. And specifically this year, there's some really nuanced things that we're hearing from AMCs and that we're pushing our AMC members to think about. I wanted Mike and Justin to share some of the highlights from that terrific event. Thanks so much for joining. Mike, give us the background of the AMC Summit and the overview of what we were hoping to share and hear from our AMC members this year. Thanks, Trevor. This is our 18th year hosting the AMC Summit. Our first was originally hosted by Michael Sachs, our founder. Some of our first members were actually AMC, so we've always had a strong interest and a need to engage with them and understand their challenges. This summit continues to be that platform, which uh, Justin and I look forward to every year. Having done this for 18 years, if you look back over some of the challenges that they faced, some that we've helped identify with them together. We've gone through these phases, much like our own founding. Technology in the early 2000s shaped a lot of our discussions. You think back to some of the more simplistic things in retrospect, 64 slice, 128 slice, and so on down the line. Those were things that really influenced us greatly, but the topics and the complexity of those evolved over the last 18 years. We've gone through topics of performance, how we moved into words like ACO and clinically integrated networks, which were never part of the AMC lexicon, and then really becoming challenged in terms of sustaining our differentiation. We spoke more recently about how consolidation and scale have shaped academic health systems, not just academic medical centers. Finally, we've come to this new era, which is really challenging for us, and one around politics and extrinsic influences. As I look back over these 18 years, we've had a lot of different challenges that we've shared and addressed with AMCs. This year, we were really fortunate. We had 65 different AMCs, which obviously makes the conversation very robust. Many of these AMCs represent a variety of AMCs. They're not all alike. Everything from sole institutions to those that are in metropolitan markets, which may compete against each other. Some of these are even safety net AMCs. So we have quite a bit of diversity in membership. You know, Mike, thinking back just on the last year or two, how shockingly different the role of an AMC is. You're forming leaders within communities, more close collaborations and ties with public health than ever before. Those are obvious, but less obvious so are the idea that AMCs are starting to take the role of defederalized agencies like the FDA and the CDC, collecting data at scale that has really been the purview of governments to date. From a research perspective, we're getting data in real time as we get those results. Very important as we continue to fight an evolving endemic virus. Onto that backdrop, what were the hot topics that our AMC members wanted to talk about at the summit? The one that we heard very loud and clear was the challenge of workforce. It's one we'll be dealing with for the near term, possibly into even 2023. Certainly COVID was a primary cause of this. Folks leaving the workforce, primarily clinical individuals, presented the first challenge. But also we saw more of a macroeconomic issue of just general wage differentials large industry coming in and competing for non-clinical workforce. The increase in salary, 
the increased expense of agency costs. Workforce is really one of the things that we heard loud and clear, and quite frankly, we're continuing to hear about. It was really interesting, Mike. We gave our AMC members a survey of what word or phrase best describes how you think 2021 will be different than 2020. We gave that poll in February 2021. We gave the same poll during our AMC Summit event in October of 2021. And the results contrast the hope of vaccines, the resilience recovery. Our favorite answer for expectation for 2020 would be hybrid bumpy, the idea that you'd be fighting waves of virus throughout the year. And that certainly came to be. The answers were very different in October 2021, clearly focused on work force, capacity constraints, but also strategic sustainability. As you mentioned those, they don't seem that dissimilar from the priorities we hear across our membership. There's specific nuances when you're an academic, but part of the theme of this year for us has been pushing our members to take a tough look in the mirror. We've asked AMCs to think about how their challenges and priorities are similar or different from the community health systems we work with. Trevor, you ask a really good question. Even though the topics are similar, the acuteness of the issue for the AMCs is greater. When you think about most AMCs are at a capacity of 80% or greater, some of those running closer to 100% consistently. While we know most community hospitals operate a much lower occupancy and the demand on both workforce, as well as very rare and limited pool of subspecialized care and technologies. Same type of issues of workforce, but perhaps more acute. And the capacity creates an even greater issue as you think about patients they've been organized to care for, those more complex, more tertiary-like patients. What we're seeing is a real crunch between the demand for those resources, that stated mission, and still needing to provide the level of community care that they've always provided. There's a real severe acuteness that's probably greater than our community hospitals, and that's probably the difference. Similar issues just a greater need to resolve them in creative ways at this point in time. At the summit, you guys shared two great case studies that exemplify how some different systems are tackling that in pretty different environments and with pretty different strategies. Mike, do you want to share one? Justin, do you want to share another case studies that kind of speak to this dynamic? Building off the topics of both workforce and even the shifting nature between community hospitals and AMC, some of the blurred lines, we were very fortunate to have Tom Stasel from Penn State join us. If anything highlights the need of an AMC to be adaptive, quick to change, and build an environment that will allow it to be sustainable, Penn State is a great example. One thing that could help folks get a sense of how quickly a market can evolve and therefore how quickly an AMC or academic health system needs to evolve Probably 20 years ago, there were 37 independent hospitals in Penn State's market in the geographies that they served. You fast forward to now, there is only one. And so over that period of time, you saw all of this movement from other systems to come into the market. And now what's left in their service area is really four competing academic health systems, four similarly focused, similarly equipped organizations. The tact that they took to respond to that They were looking for a footprint and access, and they had a really great principle that they followed, which was called the 10-20-30 rule, 10 minutes to primary care, 20 to specialty, and 30 to hospital. But what was really different about them is that they actually had an ownership stake within Penn State taken by an insurer. This sort of pay vider, this merged approach in terms of being both a clinical enterprise as well as someone who managed the premium dollar associated with it, gave them a different perspective in how they made decisions. 
The other thing in terms of making decisions that I thought was quite unique is we had an audience of strategic planners, basically CSOs that typically attend this. But Tom was really quick to challenge us to think about it's not planning anymore. It's really strategic management. It's about making decisions, testing them, being reflexive and being able to move quickly on them and to adapt. Competitiveness can spur action. There can be very different reactions not just the traditional ones. In this case, they were very dynamic and working with a payer. And then really thinking about what it means to provide that access from a consumer and access perspective. That was part of the story that Tom shared with us. But I also know, Justin, that the conversation with the New Hospitals Cleveland shared some really nice insights as well. Certainly did, Mike. And there we were privileged to have Dr. Eric Beck, the Chief Operating Officer at University Hospitals, join us and share the University Hospitals story University hospitals expanded rapidly over the past decade. As they're conducting forecast analysis, they realize that they're starting to face some demographic headwinds and potentially might be overbuilt in the ambulatory side of their facility planning. This does reflect the experience of many AMCs. As we think about benchmarking, for instance, we can typically see there's about 32 outpatient encounters per every one inpatient or observation encounter. And so to think about the idea of right balancing that expanded ambulatory landscape as we think about those academic health centers, traditionally one tertiary facility expanding to an entire system, those growing pains are really acute. And university hospitals certainly started to anticipate that, get ahead of the curve and use the March 2020 era where there were a lot of closures and unavoidable disruption to clinical practice to think about really right-sizing that ambulatory footprint with a service distribution project. Through that, they really use this as an opportunity to right-size their ambulatory assets and targeted individual clinical service lines to really start to approach that, thinking about getting their clinicians involved with those tough decisions through interviews. The silver lining here is that despite the difficulty of the process, it really had collateral benefits. As you think about workforce being a primary hot point right now with many systems, University Hospitals actually has been expanding the capacity of their workforce, unlocking workforce efficiencies because of the right-sized ambulatory network. Fewer providers were lost in transit between facilities, and that really ended up being a significant win and also countered burnout. Once the gains were started to be seen, more buy-in through those clinical partners started to catch on. An exciting story. And Mike, one of our favorite metaphors from the summit was the concept of psychological furniture. The idea that as you're renovating a system of care that may have evolved in a haphazard way, the idea that there's a certain mindset between folks in your health system that things should operate a specific way. And you kind of have to redesign the facilities themselves in order to rearrange the furniture, if you will, within that system. And just tying it back to workforce, one of the more insightful comments we heard was service distribution is a tough process. It involves making changes to services that might have been provided in communities for years, disrupting relationships between referring providers. What was interesting, going back to the workforce issue as being a real challenge, is that actually there was increased satisfaction among the workforce when they had focused opportunities and programs and ability to specialize in them. That might be called an unintended consequence, but very valuable, particularly given all the issues, limited workforce, changing workforce that all of us were just speaking about earlier. That was another interesting point that Dr. Beck shared with us, improved satisfaction because of specialization of services across different institutions. One of the stories that Tom shared that was really compelling was once upon a time, AMC was in and of itself a point of differentiation. 
now as AMCs are taking a good hard look in the mirror, they're starting to see a lot of similarities reflected back to them from their community health partners. That came to be a theme that reverberated and continues to with our members, the idea that they're competing with community health systems in new ways for those tertiary volumes. They're serving diverse communities. Their community partners are starting to take more of that research arm under their wing with decentralized clinical trials. So access to cutting edge therapies is at an all time high. The idea that there are real-world evidence data consortia, thinking about the partnerships with HCA and Google or Truvetta with Common Spirit Health and Advocate Aurora Health. Absolutely. There are lessons to be shared and learned from both community systems as well as academic health systems. And certainly the work that is done to address some of the disparities. There have been faith-based systems which have had this as an integral part of their mission since they've been founded. And in part, that was the primary reason why they were founded. AMCs are learning a great deal from that and obviously leveraging other capabilities that are adjacent to them, public health, their ability to think about being large economic drivers in a lot of communities to influence economic approaches that would be helpful to this. And Justin, you talked about medical education. That is one area where we're seeing quite a bit of change with a lot of community systems now developing education programs medical schools, and in Kaiser we refer to as one having recently developed their own medical school. This need for workforce, for physicians that lived in a community, grew up in a community to be able to return and practice there, we're seeing quite an interesting take there as well. While they're different, there's a lot of commonalities between community health systems and academic health systems. Those are both terrific examples, different environment, different set of priority problems. What's your perspective on how AMCs are going to continue to move the ball forward around the capacity challenges that we're clearly forecasting are only going to increase, probably with or without COVID as a big driver there, and the increasing push across the industry for a level of service distribution and systemness as AMCs are increasingly part of big health systems? What's going to happen next there? How that's going to play out as AMCs kind of start to think more strategically about their portfolio of assets? For any provider, understanding what we term our clinical portfolio, those types of patients that you serve, that there has to be strong attention to that, and that should be driving how services are organized or distributed or perhaps even deselected in some rare cases. If you think about it, AMCs, because of their translational research capabilities, that their innovation competencies, that they focused on those tertiary patients. And we know that that's a group of patients that is growing. Those patients are going to have an increasing length of stay. They need to think very critically around what do they do with those more medically complex patients. There's certainly evolution and certainly hospital at home was a word that was introduced into our lexicon during COVID. And it's something we've seen take quite a bit of activity. If you use the analogy of squeezing a balloon, in order to create that capacity for those tertiary patients, thoughtful consideration has to be done with not only those patients that can be shifted to alternative sites of care, but some of those more medically complex short-stay patients that still occupy beds. That thoughtful management of who are we designed best to take care of, and then how do we filtrate that other care out into our other care asset platforms or footprints, that's going to be the critical question. We've got some organizations that are taking very proactive efforts, particularly on this evolving care at home arena. Justin, you've been following the work that's been done there. Definitely, Mike. It's really important to tie back those different pieces of your inpatient portfolio. If you're capacity constrained, most AMCs we hear are operating at full. Their beds are all taken. 
there's a bit of an opportunity cost between that or the growth in tertiary procedural volumes that might be margin generating with that of what might be an otherwise avoidable admission that could be best served by a community partner. And there are many different examples of more intentional interactions and collaborations. But as we think about the SG2 forecast for those tertiary bucket, that's growing at 11%. On the flip side, the mostly medical DRGs that could be potentially avoidable admissions, say for diabetes or hypertension, those are also growing at 2% over the next decade. Kind of a balanced approach to be able to capitalize on tertiary procedural growth. You have to think about what can be shifted out of the hospital as well, which is a different way of looking at it from a strategic planning point of view. One of the stats, Mike, that we shared through our summit was looking at the AMCs versus non-AMCs and who's really capturing that tertiary procedural growth. It was striking that AMCs are growing indeed at about 7% in terms of tertiary procedural DRG growth, but non-AMCs are growing at 27%. And since 2017, kind of looking at real data, recent trends, those community health systems are increasingly competing for tertiary volumes, like it or not. That's certainly an opportunity within your academic health system to decant certain types of volumes through to your community affiliates, but also thinking about an evolving competitive landscape. This is a continued challenge. Well, we have to address this clinical capacity challenge. Right underneath that and sort of foundational in terms of answering all this is that while we've built academic health systems, adding community hospitals to the AMC or, or community system adding an AMC to itself, the question that's still unresolved around this is that the promises of all our efforts around this is not showing an impact in terms of care outcomes or costs. So all the things that we've done to try to maybe build capacity or to set the groundwork for moving or redistributing care, we haven't yet addressed the issue of outcomes around this. We're not seeing better outcomes by the fact that we have larger systems. And that was sort of our promise that we built these systems upon. We've got some unanswered questions, Trevor, that are going to take us, in addition to workforce and capacity, proving out the idea of systemness, whether that's community or AMCs. That's another ongoing challenge that we'll look to in the future. Justin, looking to the future, you guys wrapped up the summit with some predictions for 2022. Give me those highlights. What are we expecting AMC is going to be focused on in 2022 beyond this big, massive, ongoing reevaluation of how they most efficiently distribute services across their system and across the broader system of care? It really falls into three pieces. The first is obvious. It's caring for your workforce is going to be far and away the most important thing that all health systems, including AMCs, are focused on. The second is the idea of a love-hate relationship with data. The idea that we're all starting to really love that real-world evidence that we're collecting in real time from, from research and clinical support, the digital platforms that Mayo and the like are producing. Other countries, UK, Biobank, uh, Israel has an excellent database. University of California Health has also an outstanding digital platform in play. But at the same time, it comes with a dark side in that you have to now deal with cybersecurity, the storage of the data, the costs and change management associated with it, alongside the potential brand risk is we see a tech clash, if you will, against a lot of the big social media players. To this end, we've seen AMCs really start to construct intentional collaborations, new research organizations and arms within their wing. One great example is the New Jersey Innovation and Technology Hub. And this is a partnership between RWJ Barnabas, Hackensack Meridian Health, Rutgers Medical School in Princeton. Princeton, of course, not having a medical school, but having a lot of excellent AI researchers and taking all of those folks, co-locating them together in one site in New Jersey that's really well-funded to inspire the workforce, but also at the same time develop tools that will actually be used in the clinic, not by kind of the extrinsic tech factors. 
We're seeing similar approaches at Mount Sinai with their Department of Artificial Intelligence and Human Health, Stanford Health Heart Program, and Michigan Medicine even having new AI governance councils and the like. So that's really kind of an inspiring story for the future. And then finally, the third is really that continued focus on health equity. The idea that if you don't have a mission, you may no longer have a margin is healthcare starts to become and encroach further in the political landscape. The idea of more intentional collaborations with public health is really important, but also maintaining and bolstering health literacy in a way that instills the trust of the populations that you serve is really going to be imperative moving forward. The summit was much longer than this debrief, so thank you so much for focusing on some of those highlights and sharing what's most important now and in the future for our AMC members. Mike and Justin, thanks so much. Look forward to having you on SG2 Perspectives again soon. Thanks so much for listening to SG2 Perspectives. As always, I really value your feedback, input, comments, or ideas for episodes, and you can reach us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Additionally, I recommend that you check out some of the other Vizient podcasts, which cover a range of clinical and operational areas. Those can all be found at vizientinc.com backslash podcasts. Mm-hmm.